Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Whatever it takes, Fed style. The central bank will buy a range of bonds in whatever size to ensure financial stability. Come on, Congress. The $2 trillion stimulus package has been delayed. And game's over. Pressure mounts to postpone the 2020 Olympics as countries begin to pull out. It's Monday. Let's make a move. movers around the globe as we begin what will surely be another week of unbearable loss for so many and our hearts go out to all those impacted by this health crisis. We do begin today, though, with a whatever-it-takes moment from the Federal Reserve. The Fed going all in, saying it will buy mortgage bonds, corporate bonds, provide support to the municipal bond market, too. That's used by states in the United States to fund themselves, and they're going to do it in whatever size necessary, they say, to ensure the smooth functioning of the market. They also announced borrowing facilities for small and medium medium-sized enterprises and large employers. I think it shows two things. One, simply how bad things were getting in the functioning of financial markets, but also how seriously they're taking the economic crisis itself. And of course, the need to support the recovery when we get through this process. And yet, We still need more. U.S. Congress so far has been unable to reach agreement on the $2 trillion emergency package. That, of course, critical to get cash to those that have to survive the next few months. Many workers in this country living paycheck to paycheck. We have an additional crisis, too, going on. Health, economic, financial, jobs and a crisis of confidence, too. And that's also what the Federal Reserve has tried to tackle today. Here's where we stand. Well, earlier, stock futures had plunged some 5%. They'd hit their lower limit. But as you can see, as a result of the Federal Reserve's actions, we are now in the green. Let me give you a look at what we're seeing for Europe as well. At this moment, we're still seeing pressure in the European session. Most Asian markets finished lower too. Indian stocks really felt it. They plunged today as the country now begins a massive lockdown. The Fed action, though, helping to bring down Treasury yields another important part of their bond buying program here. We've got the US dollar lower to a sign that some of the tensions that we've been seeing in financial markets will likely lessen as a result of these actions. But this is by no means over yet. The health crisis, the economic crisis continues. This is about trying to address this in the short term. And of course, where we end up today and beyond depends on decision making in DC. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, who will be speaking to a bit later on in the show says GDP could fall 50% next quarter, something we've simply never seen, not even during the Great Depression. He says the US government should match every lost dollar for dollar. Claire Sebastian joins me now. Claire, it doesn't take it away from the need for Congress to simply get together here and agree on terms. But oh boy, is this an unprecedented and necessary move from the Federal Reserve this morning. 
Yeah, Julia, I think we had thought that they'd already thrown the kitchen sink at this, but there are more measures this morning and they are big. They're saying that now QE, this, the purchases of, uh, of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities will essentially be unlimited. The phrase in question is in the amounts needed is how they say they're going to purchase these. So that is essentially a blank check. They're going to continue to support these markets. But it's not just about unclogging uh, these markets right now. This is about really trying to support the real economy. They've announced new lending programs uh, for larger businesses. They're going to try and roll out a, a, a Main Street business lending program. There's a lot of measures in there which show the Fed is really trying to funnel money into the real economy because, because of course, as you've been reporting, this is a sudden stop. Businesses are trying to survive through this and they don't know how long it's going to be. They need some relief on their loans. They need to find a way to keep cash on the books so they can keep workers hired. And the Fed is really trying to funnel money to those businesses. It's such a great point. 85% of employment in this country is small and medium-sized enterprises. It's self-employed individuals. So making sure that they can survive the next few months is absolutely critical here. But I'll go back to the point that it doesn't negate the need for Congress to act today. We need to see the stimulus cash being pumped in here, checks being sent to individuals, a bare minimum, quite frankly, to allow people who survive and live paycheck to paycheck here to to have some sense of stability and that they can survive and, and buy basics like food over the next few weeks and months. Absolutely, Julia. I think the Fed has made it very clear all along, even as they've announced these emergency measures, that they are not the only game in town. They cannot do this alone. It will take a partnership between uh, not only the government and the Fed, but also the private sector as well. The, the Federal Reserve Chair saying in a statement that they are, it's now clear, despite all the uncertainties, that our economy, he says, will face severe disruptions. This isn't just about ensuring survival uh, for as many businesses as possible as we go through this. This is about trying to make sure that once this is over, and, and of course, we don't know how long that's going to be. We don't know how you exit these emergency measures, these lockdowns. But once we do, he has to uh, try to ensure that there is some kind of softer landing, that, that businesses can start to ramp back up, that society can start to, to restart, that things can start to function again. And, and, and they have to pump this money in to be able to do that. Such a great point. A soft landing from these measures at the back end and when we try and come out of them needs to be guaranteed at this stage. What we really don't know is the terms and conditions. Are these loans for small and medium-sized enterprises that don't want to go into debt as a result of what we're seeing here in this economic coma that's going on for the US economy here? Will there be grants if they retain employees? What kind of terms and conditions will be attached to the corporate lending here? Because we know in DC this is incredibly sensitive. And from what I've heard, the Democrats are trying to attach conditions on executive pay for the next 10 years. So they're trying to use politics to tackle some of the issues that they have. And they're real issues. But we have to focus on the next two to three months, arguably, and nothing more right now. Yeah, although, Julia, I will say that memories on Main Street are fairly long. You know, I did speak to a, a small business last week and they said, the, you know, the, the phrase bailout in itself itself is still heavily tainted from 2008. They said, well, how can they bail out the airlines and then leave us just stranded like this? These these restaurants across New York that I've been speaking to are already, they've already laid off most of their staff, most of them. This is already happening to them. And they are looking at this and thinking, well, what, how does this, how do we deal with this? How does this impact us? You know, it's clear that the airlines are going to get support, the cruise lines. But what about the businesses that are sort of propping up the, the economy on a day-to-day -day basis, the small and medium-sized ones, as you say, that are the, the, pin, the kind of cornerstone of, of American employment? I couldn't agree more.
Claire Sebastian, thank you so much for that. Now, more than 750 million people across India have been put on lockdown until the end of March. Restrictions on work, on travel and movement apply in 75 cities, including New Delhi, Mumbai and Bangalore. John Lefteris joins us now. John, I mean, India, the world's largest democracy, uh, I'll, I'll, implementing I'll these in, kind of measures is just eye-opening. But it's not just about one country in emerging markets. We know that they don't have the same kind of healthcare systems. The burden of this virus, in addition to the financial tensions and the money being pulled out of these regions, it's the perfect storm. It is a perfect storm, and it's time to start focusing on it, Julia. It may not be on the radar of the Federal Reserve, or for that matter, the G7 countries right now, but it doesn't mean that the problem doesn't exist. I think the lockdown by Narendra Modi of uh, India will start to change that narrative. But candidly, the discussions over the last three or four days have been about that block deal coming out of Capitol Hill, $2 trillion. By the way, it's just under 10% of GDP, so it's equal to what we did 10 years ago, and that's the frustration I think you've been expressing uh, on air. Uh, nothing new here, but the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, is now pulling out the big guns. I isolated five economies here. If you take India and add Indonesia, Brazil, a country like Nigeria and the Philippines, we're looking at a population collectively here, and they were fast-growing economies of two billion people. What do they need going forward, Julia? They're not on the front line of the virus yet, but we had Nigeria's first death, and they have cases in six states, for example. It is coming. They need access to medicine, as you're talking about here. They'll need fiscal stimulus going forward, and they're getting squeezed by the dollar right now. Many of them hold corporate debt and uh, international debt in dollars, and this is going to be a problem for them going forward. There is an opportunity right now. There's supposed to be a G20 a uh, virtual summit taking place that's going to be led by the chair for 2020, uh, Saudi Arabia. I I'm saying this because this should be a rallying call for them to say, what did we do back in 2009 and 10? The G20 was effective pulling everybody together, including the emerging markets. We have to put the emerging markets now front and center, particularly in the developing world like Africa, who are going to suffer very badly from the virus when it does take hold. Yeah, you make some great points there, John. And actually, if I look around the world, the United States no longer seemingly taking the leadership role there. It's now China that's giving money and, and resources to these people. The world order is going to be changed by what we're seeing and will see, I think, in the coming months. Thank you so much for raising awareness. John Defterius, thank you. Now, the world awaits a decision from Japan and the International Olympic Committee on whether this summer's Tokyo Olympic Games will go ahead. Will Ripley joins us on this story. Will, and we're seeing a number of countries, the Canadians, I believe the Australians, even the Irish saying, look, we're simply not going to send athletes here. Surely it's only a matter of time now before this is cancelled or postponed. And the list of countries uh, saying they're not going to send athletes is only bound to grow because of the simple fact that the chaotic situation in Europe and the United States will not allow athletes to train safely. Um, not to mention the fact that there's no way to know what's going to be happening with this pandemic by the time July 24th rolls around. Now, for weeks, we've been hearing an almost stubborn insistence on the part of Japanese officials and the International Olympic Committee, frankly, saying that the games would go forward on schedule. That was their goal, to deliver the games on schedule. But just in the last 24 hours, there's been a dramatic change in tone, Julia. And particularly uh, surprising to me were comments made by Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe acknowledging that in this current global climate, it will be impossible to host the games. That is all but admitting 
that a postponement is inevitable. But what we don't know yet, and we're going to learn in the coming weeks, is when the games will be moved to. And uh, the reason why that's going to take a while to announce is because, as you know all too well, Julia, there are billions of dollars at stake here. There are so many stakeholders, not to mention athletic qualifying events and whatnot. But I was talking to one economist here in Tokyo today who estimates the cost of postponing the Olympics could be five and a half billion dollars. And Japan was already on track to spend 20 billion dollars. You know, even simple details like the Olympic Athletes Village, where, where, where they're supposed to stay, those units have largely been sold. People are supposed to be moved in by this time next year. That's just one of the logistical nightmares that Japanese and Olympic officials are now going to have to presumably sort out. They've given themselves four weeks to do it. A lot of people are saying they need to make the official announcement sooner to ease the anxiety of so many athletes who've been training for the Olympics but are in countries and conditions where they're not even able to leave their homes in many cases. Yeah, as, as important as the, the financial implications are of this, in the end, Will, health matters more. And I think we'll go from a point where we're sort of expecting a decision on this to being um, perhaps annoyed for the uncertainty for the athletes that are wondering whether you know they have to leave their homes and go there and, and whether it's safe, quite frankly. We sort of need to end the uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention that there's still uncertainty about the coronavirus situation inside Japan itself. Just yesterday, they saw their largest single day jump in the number of deaths. And while the number of confirmed cases remains relatively low here, just around 1,100 when you compare it to other countries, Julia, they're testing a tiny fraction of what other countries are testing. There were social media pictures being circulated this weekend of young people packed into the parks here in Tokyo viewing the cherry blossoms. They reminded me of the pictures I saw from Florida and Australia. And a lot of these people were not wearing masks. People are going to the office. They're crowding into public transportation. Bars and restaurants are open and they're busy here. And you have to wonder, this feeling of calm in Tokyo, this relatively relaxed attitude on the part of the government, is that the true picture of the situation or is this the calm before the storm? Well, Ripley, you said it. People need to go home, save lives. Well, Ripley, thank you for that. We're going to take a break here on First Move. But coming up, a chilling warning as the coronavirus pandemic spreads. The U.S. unemployment rate could reach 30%. Plus, how IBM is teaming up with the government to fight the health crisis. Stay with First Move. You're with CNN. first move on yet another historic day on financial markets. U.S. stock futures have turned around in pretty dramatic fashion this past hour as the Federal Reserve announced sweeping new support for the U.S. economy. The central bank unveiled what amounts to unlimited QE, an open-ended commitment to buying as many treasuries, mortgage-backed securities and lending facilities to help steady the real economy and the financial markets. That said, investors believe what happens in Congress today is just as important. Democrats and Republicans have not yet been able to come to an agreement on the terms of a $2 trillion stimulus package. Joining us on the phone now, I'm pleased to say, James Bullard, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. So president Bullard, Jim, fantastic to have you with us. I've been calling this a whatever-it-takes moment from the Federal Reserve. Just in your own words, the view from the Federal Reserve today and the measures you've decided to take uh, we took a lot of good action today. Uh, we had already set um, 
at least 500 billion for those that were paying very close attention, but uh, we reworded that to make it clear that this is unlimited as far as the amount of buying we'll do. And we set up uh, new facilities to handle some of the illiquidity in uh, various markets as we try to adjust to this uh, big shock. So I think it's a great package, and I think uh, Jay Powell's providing great leadership on this. You've suggested that a 30% unemployment rate is possible in the United States. Can you just clarify what you mean by that? Is that even given the measures that you've taken today, assuming we also get the stimulus package from Congress? Is that kind of unemployment in this country still a risk? Well, Julia, this is a planned temporary shutdown of the U.S. economy. The health authorities are telling us to produce only essential services plus a little bit that we can produce by working at home. So this is going to be throttling back the U.S. economy dramatically from what we're used to. So everything's upside down compared to how we usually do business cycle analysis where we're trying to produce as much as possible. In the second quarter, we're going to produce, you know, very low amounts. Uh, and so I think it's very hard for, uh, you know, people like us, you and me, that do this every day to get our heads around uh, what we're trying to do here. So the goal is to keep everybody whole as you have this project going on where everybody goes home and sits on their couch. You know, that sounds that part sounds easy, but uh, uh, to get the economy to bridge over through this is the tough part. So what we're going to have to do is use the unemployment insurance program uh, extensively to keep people whole uh, that get, get disrupted out of their jobs. And then we're also going to have to uh, lend to businesses. Uh, they're unemployed, too. Uh, so we're going to lend to businesses so that they can get through this and get to the other side. So I think. The good news is uh, I think we're going to win this war, but the bad news is we got to fight that battle. That, that is a huge project that has to go on uh, to get all that in place by the time we get to the second quarter here. I feel like you're saying then that even with the measures that we're taking, 30% unemployment is possible, yeah, wanna, but this is an unperf- imperfect wanna, science. Julie, I want to knock you off a little bit about the word stimulus. Because normally when you're talking about a recession, you'd say, well, what we want to do is bring production into the quarter that's going to be the down quarter. But we don't want to do that here. You don't want to force people back onto airplanes. You don't want to force people back into the bars and restaurants. The whole idea is to throttle back U.S. production. So we want to throttle back U.S. production but keep people whole during this process so that we can come out on the other side with the economy intact and uh, and then we'll be fine. We'll we'll turn on the factory and and we'll go back to work. But we don't really want to bring production into the second quarter as you normally would when we talk about stimulus. So I think a better word here is insurance or income maintenance during this shutdown period. This very special shutdown period. That's how you want to think about this. Investment in survival. That's what we're doing at this stage. You know, if I yes. if I take a quarter of the output of this economy, we're talking four, five trillion dollars. It's a twenty-two trillion dollar economy. So is two trillion dollars of investment in survival enough, or do they need to do more? Does Congress need to agree more here? 
Yeah, I love this uh, this way to frame what we're talking about here. A typical quarter in the U.S. in very round numbers would be five trillion dollars worth of goods and services. Right. And the health authorities are telling us to throttle back and not do that. So let's say just rough numbers that we have to cut that in half. So we're going to be missing two and a half trillion dollars worth of income that we would otherwise would have had in the second quarter. So that's what Congress is trying to bridge. That's the revenue that isn't there for businesses. That's the income that isn't there for households. And, you know, they're putting these programs together to try to uh, make sure that uh, everybody's got a check uh, during this period. And that's why I'm saying unemployment use, which I would really call pandemic insurance, uh, that's going to skyrocket during this period. And that'll be a good thing. That's exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to transfer income to people during the pandemic uh, period uh, so that they can get through, so that we can come out on the other side and have the economy completely intact. Jim, to use your analogy, if we're, we're creating a bridge here, then at $2 trillion, we're only building half, maybe even less than the bridge here. Just explain to me how essential it is that, that Congress agree these measures, to your point. And I'll use some of your statistics. 40% of U.S. households can't cut a $500 check in an emergency. If, if we're talking about 30% unemployment, we're also talking about social unrest, that level of anxiety for people that live paycheck to paycheck. You know, I, I know that that's what people are thinking, but I actually think we can complete this project without social unrest. If we would get everybody on the same page by the time the second quarter begins and everyone understands what's going on, we're all going to shelter in place. We're going to sit in our uh, houses and apartments, not do very much, not produce very much, and not consume very much. We're basically not going to do very much during the second quarter. And to tie this over, uh, some people are going to go to the unemployment insurance office, the ones that have been uh, disrupted, and these businesses are going to have to get loans to pay uh, basic expenses during this period. So that's the flavor of what we're doing. I think that's all very accomplishable, but it's a big project uh, because it's a big economy. You've suggested that output could half in the next quarter. The president has suggested that the economy could go off like a rocket when we come out the other side of this because of all the pent-up demand. What kind of damage and recovery are we looking at here just with the measures that we're talking about? I come back to the idea, and you and I basically agreed on it, that more is required. What does recovery even look like at this stage? You know, I think uh, I think we can do very well um, on the other side of this. I think there would I would envision as of today, and and you understand, and I think all viewers understand that this depends on how the virus goes ahead here. But if you if you kind of assume we have to shelter in place all during the second quarter, then the third quarter would be a transition quarter where you're starting to open things up again. Health authorities are saying that it's okay to go uh, go back outside. Um, then uh, fourth quarter of this year could be the boom quarter, and the first quarter of 2021 would be the boom time when everything's really up and running and you're rocking and rolling again. Jim, there are those that are 
are talking about, and it came up in the press conference on Friday and on Saturday with the president, that there is a risk here with the measures that we are putting in place to suppress the health crisis, that we're perhaps imperiling more lives than we're trying to save. What's your view on that? You know, I've, uh, that has crossed my mind, but I don't really know the research on that. So uh, that might be a debate uh, to have and talk about. But I think right now we want to focus on the, um, on the health crisis. Uh, like I say, I think this is all very doable. It's, uh, it's kind of a simple thing. Uh, we want people to just go home and not do very much. But we need to get the financing in place to make sure we don't do damage uh, to the economy or to individual households as we're as we're trying to cope uh, and make our investment in the health of the um, population. And, and just very quickly, um, President Bullard, if I can, did the measures that the Federal Reserve took today prevent a brewing financial crisis? Oh, well, we're definitely uh, providing uh, outstanding uh, liquidity in these markets. Uh, it's very understandable that uh, all kinds of traders around the world are, are, and investors around the world are very nervous about what's going to happen. And this tends to make some of these markets become very illiquid. No one wants to trade anything. And so uh, we're going to make sure that uh, we can get price discovery in these markets and i think that'll work very well and we're going in in size and i would also mention uh and this will be a topic for coming days we've got this main street uh funding facility that's brewing in congress so i'd like to see congress go ahead and vote for that now and then we'll implement soon and uh that i think will be a boon for smaller businesses and and more main street uh, type activity in the u.s and just very quickly, if small and medium-sized companies borrow money on that facility but decide to keep their employees, will that be a grant as opposed to a loan? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure about the details. The details seem to change every five minutes on, on Capitol <laughs> Hill. So I'm that not too. sure what the details are. Uh, but, uh, so it depends on how the Congress comes down on that. I think that uh, they are intended to be loans. And, uh, at least initially, and then there might be some uh, forgiveness features, but you would have to meet certain criteria maybe to get the mm. uh, forgiveness features. So, I, I mean, I defer to people that are on Capitol Hill that are doing the negotiating to talk about that. But I think the spirit of it is there's no reason why you can't lend to a uh, solid business and they can get through the 90-day period or 120-day period or whatever it is. And then they come out on the other side. they got plenty of revenue. They're a, a well-run business, and they pay that off in the future. I think most of them, overwhelming majority of them, would do exactly that. So there's really no reason why you it's, – it's not as risky as it sounds. I think you, can, you could totally do that and get that done. We defer to D.C., sir, and we also send them a, a message as well. James Pollard, <laughs> the president of the St. Louis Fed. So thank you for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Great All right, to have great. You with Thanks us. for talking to me this morning. All right. Thank you. And uh, the markets have opened. And just take a look at that Dow. So despite the fact that we were looking at positive markets at this moment, we're under a bit of pressure. As you can see, you are looking at the Dow. Big measures from the Federal Reserve today, as you were just hearing more needed from Congress. We await. Stay with us. More to come.
Welcome back to First Move. We're just eyeing what we're seeing on the stock markets this morning. We're expecting a, a higher open, but yeah, let's call that a little bit mixed. Claire Sebastian is back with us. Claire, I have to say, we've got to keep an eye on stock markets here, but there was a lot more markets that we can't show our viewers that were being tackled by the Federal Reserve. And of course, we're still waiting for that stimulus package from D.C. It's a busy day. Very busy, Julia. You know, the Fed really sort of throwing everything it can once again at this crisis, treasury markets, mortgage-backed securities. A week ago, they said they were going to spend $700 billion, uh, on buying up those assets. Now they say it's pretty much unlimited. Not only that, but they're trying to funnel money to Main Street through new lending programs for big corporations. They're trying to get it to small and medium-sized businesses as well through some crisis-era measures. There's apparently going to be a new Main Street business lending program they're going to roll out soon. So all of this design, not just to unclog these markets. Let's be clear, this isn't just about keeping liquidity flowing through the system. This is actually about trying to get money to those businesses that need it most, that are already, Julia, laying off workers. We have Stephen Mnuchin on television this morning pleading with businesses not to lay off workers. I'm afraid that horse has already bolted in many cases. So that is why there is so much pressure out there for Congress to get this done. Absolutely. And you heard there um, the conversation I was having with the St. Louis Fed president about whether or not the loans that are being given to small and medium-sized enterprises will be grants, i.e. Mm. no repayments versus loans. I mean, no small, medium-sized enterprise wants to add more debt. I mean, imagine if you're a self-employed yeah. person. So the devil's really in the detail here. Yeah, I think the question is, uh, and, and this is looking increasingly less uh, less positive, is, is whether and how much of the demand lost and business lost during this time will be recaptured after Certainly, if you look at the travel industry, there are people who are just not going to go on vacation this year. So a lot of this is lost revenue. I think the same if you look at restaurants and bars and hotels, people just aren't going to be spending that money. So it's not like we're going to see that sort of long alluded to V-shaped recovery that people have been talking about for weeks. This is going to creak back to life. People are going to need uh, to, to be in a, a, a stronger position as possible to survive not only the, the, the downturn that we're now sort of uh, you know going into, but also the, the, the slow recovery that this might uh, then engender. And I think, Julia, it's interesting. There's not just a, a concern on Main Street about what this is going to be and when it's going to happen. I think there's a trust issue as well. I had an email from a CEO just now saying, you know, are they meeting? Are they are they talking in Washington about how to administer this? It's all very well making these promises, but how are they going to trickle down to the businesses that, that need it? I think people are worried that Washington doesn't have a handle on this. Yes, yeah, size, speed, and then execution. Critical. So, here, Sebastian. Thank you so much for coming back and talking to us about this. Now, around the world, as Claire was describing there, big and small companies are racing to help us get through this. Here are just some of the few ways they're contributing. General Electric working around the clock making ventilators. Alcoholic drinks companies, including Absolute Vodka and the Scottish beer brand Brewdog, are making hand sanitizer. So is the French luxury goods giant LVMH. Another big fashion brand, Zara, ordering in material to make hospital gowns. And that's just the beginning. Silicon Valley is devoting a slice of its resources to battling the coronavirus outbreak. Joining us now is someone leading that charge, Chuck Robbins, CEO of Cisco Systems, which makes networking equipment. On Sunday, he announced the company is contributing tech services worth $210 million and a further $8 million in cash to help the global effort to fight COVID-19. Chuck, fantastic to speak to you as always. Just describe in, in detail what you're actually doing here. What's this money going towards? Well, Julia, first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, look, this is this is an unprecedented time. And so 
what we're focused on are our employees, our communities, our customers, and this is this is where everything's going. So the the money that we announced, some of it's already been deployed. We have been working in China and Korea and other Italy and other countries around the world to deploy technology, video capabilities like we're using here today, to help fight this this crisis that uh, is out there. Uh, we are deploying cash. Well, one of my biggest concerns are the most vulnerable in our communities right now. That's why this this Washington D.C initiative is so important because people are struggling today and whether it's the homeless or it's those who are you know one major bill away from being homeless we have to actually support these people right now so some of our money is going there we have money going to the united nations solidarity fund supporting the world health organization so and then all the technology services to our customers we just basically said Look, if you need cloud security, you need collaboration tools, you need WebEx for working at home, all of our customers now, you know, it's the volumes are just unbelievable what we faced uh, with our customers and what they're trying to accomplish. So it's going towards all of those things, keeping our customers up and running, helping in our communities. We also launched a $5 million matching gifts program for our employees to give, and then we match on top of that. So it's a, it's a broad array of uh, activities. It's giving me goosebumps hearing it, to be honest. Um, talk to me about the workers that you have as well, the waged workers. I know you, you said to your workers, look, we're going to continue to pay you. We'll give you some stability here because this is something where we're already seeing waves and waves of, of unemployment benefit claims. It's the jobs. It's for the people that live paycheck to paycheck that I think the real fear is for, at least in the short term. That's exactly right. We're, we're fortunate that we have a, a strong P&L, a strong balance sheet. So yeah. one of the very early things that we committed to were really our contract hourly workers. They're not even Cisco employees. These are those hourly workers who are in our cafeterias, those who are in custodial roles, cleaning our buildings. We just wanted them to know that they're going to be taken care of on a global basis because they didn't create this this challenge. And uh, we certainly don't need to exacerbate the problems in our communities by having more people that are struggling to eat, struggling to pay their bills. And, and even though we have eviction moratoriums, that doesn't mean that those rents are being forgiven. They're ultimately no. going to have to be paid. So we have to help these people and try to keep them on their feet. I couldn't agree more. I do want to get your view on as a leader, though, as a corporate leader. What I'm hearing is some of the holdup between the, the Democrats and the Republicans here is that the Democrats want to tie loans for, for bigger businesses to executive pay and give Congress up to 10 years control on executive pay, even if those loans are paid back in the first few months. What is your view on that? It feels like we're, we're not tackling the next two to three months and the crisis, but trying to throw in bigger issues that perhaps need solving, but not solving right now. Well, I think you answered the question. I mean, the reality is, is that <laughs> this is not a time for, no, it's good. It makes it easy on me. This is not a time for partisan politics. This is a time to get solutions to the American people because they are struggling. And, you know, these, many of these businesses that are struggling, they, they did not bring them this on themselves. So looking at punitive or controlling things for companies like airlines that had nothing to do with this or hotel chains that this is happening to them. So I think expedience that getting this done fast is the most important thing. And if it needs to be tweaked later, tweak it later. But uh, the reality is, is that the longer this takes, the more suffering and the more the workers are going to be uh, hurt by this. So we need to go.
People are using terms like 30% unemployment rates, uh, economic depression. How worried are you by that? And do you think the money that we're getting from the, the Federal Reserve and from DC, we hope, is enough? Well, I think the Fed has done a great job. Uh, once they started moving, they're moving and they're basically saying we will do whatever it takes. And I think Congress needs to do the same thing. Uh, and these numbers are speculative, obviously, and the, when you hear them, they scare people. Uh, but um, I think that, you know, the best way to avoid that is to get this movement out of D.C. today. And then hopefully we, using American ingenuity that always seems to prevail, you know, we can actually get this thing behind us sooner rather than later. And I think that's what we all need to be focused on. Chuck, thank you for your leadership. And, of course, joining us by WebEx there, which is a word of the day, quite frankly. So uh, we, we, we're grateful for your support on that front as well. The CEO of Cisco Systems there. Chuck, sure. thank you for joining us. All right, we're going to take you. a break. Coming up on First Move, a new effort to find coronavirus treatments. How supercomputers are being deployed to the front lines of the battle against the coronavirus. That's next. first move. In an announcement last night, the White House confirmed it's working with tech giant IBM and others to direct the nation's supercomputing powers to help fight the coronavirus outbreak. The idea is to put an unprecedented amount of computer power directly in the hands of researchers. Joining us now, Director of IBM Research, Dario Gill. Dario, fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much for uh, for joining First Move. Just to start by explaining how supercomputers can help us fight this virus. Well, ultimately, we are all going to have to come together and empower the scientific community to find new treatments and ultimately a vaccine. So just to give you an example of work that has been done in the largest supercomputer on Earth in IBM Summit in Oak Ridge National Laboratory, they went and they looked uh, what are the potential compounds that could bind to the spike protein that then attaches to the cells and infects uh, the cells and spreads the virus? And they were able to look at over 8,000 compounds and down select to the 77 most promising small molecules that could tackle and deactivate uh, the virus. So it's an example of how we can do modeling to be able to screen and narrow down experimental efforts to find new therapies and ultimately vaccines. How long would it take to achieve what you're describing there in terms of isolating a number of compounds if we were just using ordinary brain power or ordinary computers? Because this is the key, isn't it? It collapses the time taken. Yeah, the power of supercomputers, it's its power to accelerate the rate of discovery. So it would have taken months to do those kinds of calculations in a normal computer where it took less than two days to be able to screen those uh, 8,000 molecules and down select to 77 by using a supercomputer. And just to ask you, because you did mention it, the Summit Supercomputer System, this is about trying to isolate a compound that can effectively disable the coronavirus. Can you give us any sense of what sort of progress you're making there? And I know I'm sort of asking for the moon here, but any sense of time to get to the point where we could be using something like this? So we have to be able to move on so many fronts in parallel. There are, of course, researchers and scientists who are looking about existing uh, drugs that may be able in the market that could interact uh, with the existing virus. 
but also we not we gotta be able to deliver you know and, and explore new molecules that are going to interact with them. So this is an effort that is going to work on multiple horizons. But the work I, I shared before that was on an Oak Ridge and the University of Tennessee using IBM Summit um, is already work that has been published, and then it can enable others in the community. So what this initiative really allows us to do is to tap an unprecedented amount of supercomputers. We're talking over 330 teraflops of computational power and match it to the best scientists around the nation and the world to accelerate their progress. So where's the White House fitting in here? Are they simply making sure that you're providing your powers to, to the researchers, but there's coordination among some of the big tech giants that have this kind of technology just to just to simplify the process, I guess, streamline, focus the process. The White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, you know, and Michael Kratzios, the, the CTO of the United States specifically, has been at the very heart of this effort, working in partnership with us and with the Department of Energy. And we all coalesce together to marshal the resources of the nation uh, in doing that. So, so working collaboratively, uh, we launched this week uh, the COVID-19 High Performance Computing Consortium. And then we have attracted an extraordinary group of partners. We're talking about five national laboratories, NASA, the National Science Foundation, MIT, RPI, and many leading technology companies. We're all coming together to put these resources in the fight against the, the pandemic. You know, IBM has so many different ways of helping in this crisis. I know you have blockchain technology as well that, that can isolate hotel rooms that perhaps could be used for, for hotels. What do you think should be the corporate focus at this moment? Is it about the ways that you're describing to try and find unique ways of helping in this crisis? Or is it also about protecting the employees that you have? Because this is one of the great fears now is that we're heading to a significant jobs crisis in the United States as well. That's right. So so the, the initiatives that we have launched, uh, I would summarize it in three core areas. First, having to do with resiliency and adaptation. So we must uh, you know, keep IBM open for business, which we are, and enable all the mission critical systems of the work of the world, you know, financial institutions, telco, transportation, up and running and working. The second front uh, that we're focused is how do we enable trusted information for all? How are we able to bring uh, information we can trust and make it available uh, to citizens to make informed decisions? And the third is this topic we chatted before about accelerating the rate of discovery, accelerating discovery overall. So those three are fundamental uh, for us to respond as one institution for the safety of our employees and to help and support all that needed. It's so great to hear the role that, that big business is playing in tackling this crisis. Dario, thank you so much for joining us and giving you your perspective this morning. Dario Gill, the you. director of IBM Research, great to chat to you. All right, Thank stay you. with us. We're going to take a look at the markets and reaction to the announcement from the Federal Reserve. Of course, unlimited QE coming this morning as we await passage of that stimulus bill. Stay with us. We're back after this. Welcome back to First Move. Let me tell you, losses are accelerating on Wall Street at this moment. Stocks are falling despite the Fed's latest aggressive action to steady the U.S. economy. And it was a whatever-it-takes moment, unlimited QE. In other words, open-ended purchases of things like treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, the municipal bond market as well, where U.S. states finance themselves and had seen soaring borrowing costs. 
and the provision of loans to the real economy. They didn't say they would buy equities. So that's one thing to remember. But as you heard earlier, the St. Louis Fed President James Bollard called it insurance and income maintenance during an unprecedented shutdown period. We still need to see action from Congress. It's something, it's not enough, guys. And I will continue to reiterate that. That $2 trillion emergency aid package needs to be signed on Capitol Hill. We'll await to see what they can come up with. But Republicans, Democrats need to put aside their differences, sign this bill, and more money will probably need it too. There is too much uncertainty about the health crisis, about the ensuing economic crisis, to argue for higher equities at this stage. There's too much going on and too much uncertainty. We'll be back, but that's just about it for the show. Thank you for watching. You've been watching First Move. Take care of yourselves and each other. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.